Reopening the border. Just the best news I've had in 16 months. American travelers invited back to Canada with conditions. Relief for families forced apart. I'm so grateful I can visit my mother now. Rules relaxed in long-term care, why some say it was far too long in coming. And faith under fire. Honestly, this morning we woke up to the news and it was... We were all in shock. A Surrey church gutted by flames just days after another suspicious incident. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. An out-of-control wildfire is burning in a hillside between Oliver and Osoyoos, threatening several structures. It broke out late this afternoon, sending a large plume of smoke into the air. It has since grown to cover 60 hectares, and it is burning close to homes, wineries, and cottages, as you can see. At least two helicopters are in the area right now, bucketing water on the flames. People living in the area say they are currently without power. It's not clear if electricity was cut due to the fire or if it was deliberately done by officials as a precaution. It is a developing uh, situation, and it just so happens our chief meteorologist, Mark Madriga, is in the South Okanagan uh, on vacation right now. But thanks for stepping in, uh, Mark. I know you're in a Soyuz, so you're not uh, right next to this specific fire, but you can definitely see the smoke from it, and you've been impacted by it as well. Tell us what you're seeing. Well, thanks, Sophie. Yeah, we're on uh, the east side of the lake, the same uh, side as uh, the fire, I think. I'm not totally positive on that, but when I look straight north from Spirit Ridge here, just east of downtown Osoyoos, I see the, uh, the plume of smoke. I'm not seeing any flames from here, but the plume of smoke and it looks like it's actually uh, formed some uh, pretty heavy-duty cumulonimbus clouds uh, when I look a little higher. So it's obviously uh, quite uh, making quite an impact. But um, it's very smoky now in the Osuias area, but I, I just don't think it's from that fire, all the smoke that I'm seeing here. Uh, I looked at the satellite imagery, and there's a lot more smoke coming up from the southwest. So the flow of air is from the southwest at all levels here, which is... Uh, good news for us, but again, it is quite breezy, mm-hmm. so I'm concerned about that. It's breezy all the way up and down the valley. Now, you were um, up in so that area, yeah. Mark, you were up in the area of uh, of this fire just a few hours ago bef- before, as far as we know, yep. before it broke out. What what were the conditions like there? Like, what You yep. didn't see any sign of this at the time, I'm assuming. No, and, and we left that area about 2 o'clock. Absolutely nothing going on up there. It was a bit hazy in the area, but uh, boy, it's happened since then. It, it has to have because there was nothing at all when we came back to Osuyas, uh nothing uh, north of us. So as far as an impact here, yeah, the power has been out for about an hour now here uh, all through. And now you may know better than I, all through the Okanagan we're hearing, the South Okanagan at least, the power is out. And we're hearing it was deliberately uh, shut down uh, as a precautionary measure. But uh, we don't know when that power will go on. So a lot of people staying here and, you know, everyone else that lives in the, in the town and area are wondering just uh, what the impact will be with a power outage. Do we pack up and come home, uh, mass exodus out of Osuyas and other areas, or, or will that power be put back on in the next while? So that's a big question mark, and no one seems to know the answer to that. And I can't get anything on the Internet. The Internet is very, very slow up here now because yeah. of the power outage, I assume. So Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this, this did just uh, uh, come to our attention in the newsroom uh, just before Global News at 5. So we are you know, racing to get more information from... Uh, 
the utilities in the area, uh, from witnesses in the area as well. So uh, if any of those folks want to give us a call or, or tweet us or send us an email or something like that, we, we are trying to get hold of people to get more information on what's going on there. Uh, but we appreciate you stepping in, Mark. Um, just uh, before I let you go, you know, you've been up there for a couple of days. Um, we know that the fire situation in BC has been bad for a number of weeks now. But if you can give us a sense now that you've been there for a couple of days, the smoke situation and the really the dryness that they've been going through. Oh, absolutely. It is just so dry up here. As we know, there's been very little precipitation. But the smoke has kind of come and gone the last, uh, we've been here since Friday. It's it's thicker at times and thinner at others. It hasn't really been a big issue, to be honest with you. It's uh, It's been primarily floating up from the southwest. I see there's a fire north of Twisp in northern Washington, and, and uh, a lot of that smoke has come in waves and moved up from the southwest. So that's been the main story. But it has been actually, actually quite good here most of the last three days, just mm-hmm. a bit of smoke at times. All right, well, we'll see how things develop uh, tonight, Mark, and hopefully power will come back for you guys before the evening is through. But we'll, uh, we'll let you know if we hear anything. Mark, thanks for that. Thanks very much, Sophie. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks, Mark Rodriguez, of course, uh, calling in from Osuyas. So we know there are hundreds of wildfires burning throughout this province right now. Let's take a look at some of the other ones uh, that we're watching. The Thomas Creek wildfire has grown in size yet again. Afterward, that fire had slightly reduced in size on Sunday. B.C. wildfire officials now confirm it is more than 6,500 hectares and still out of control. The change in size is attributed to some growth at the head of the fire on Sunday. That fire is burning about one point. kilometers east of Skaha Lake. An evacuation alert is in place for more than 700 properties. And a fast-moving fire near Westwold has forced the evacuation of 28 properties. The White Rock Lake fire has grown to an estimated 3,000 hectares. It's burning about 50 kilometers northeast of Merritt between Westwold and Douglas Lake uh, because there is no commercial lodging available in Kamloops right now. Officials with the Thompson-Nicola Regional District are encouraging evacuees who don't have friends or family they can stay with to head to the Sutherland Avenue Salvation Army in Kelowna. And crews are battling two fires in the West Kootenai region on Arrow Lake near Edgewood. The Octopus Creek fire is estimated to cover just under 1,200 hectares. Evacuation alerts are in place for 162 properties in nearby communities, and evacuation orders are now in place for five properties. Crews are also working to contain the Michaud Creek fire, which is burning roughly 21 kilometers south of Edgewood. That fire is pegged at 2,500 hectares and has triggered evacuation alerts for properties in the communities of Edgewood and of Needles. And just uh, to reiterate our top story, there's that out-of-control fire now burning in a hillside between Oliver and Asuyus. It is threatening several structures. Uh, We are uh, working on getting more information for you about that fire, and we'll bring it to you as it becomes available. Now, all of these fires are making for a very smoky province in some parts. Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the smoke situation in B.C. Christy. So, well, as you heard uh, Mark mention, it's not too bad in Asuyus, but that's certainly not the case in many other areas like Ashcroft, for example. So, Smoky Skies Bulletin widespread from the Caribou region right down through the Okanagan Valley. And interestingly, it extends all the way through the Prairie provinces as well, right into the sort of the southern parts of uh, Ontario. So, um, 
when we look at the winds specifically for the BC area, they were fairly light, generally out of the southwest, but fairly light. So entrenched in a lot of those valleys, you can see it here. This was from this afternoon. Now tomorrow, we're going to continue with light winds generally overnight, but we're going to see some winds pick up from the southwest, gusts up to 40 kilometers an hour. That will shift a lot of it off into Alberta, but we will continue to see those flames be uh, be sort of fan from that fire or from the wind. So that may sort of uh, cause a little bit more spoke. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. We'll check back with you a little bit later for a look at our forecast. Well, a ray of hope tonight for B.C.'s battered tourism industry, with the federal government announcing it's reopening the border to some Americans and international travelers. Richard Zussman joins us live with the dates, the details and the reaction. Richard? Yeah, Sophie, so there are a lot of details here, and some of the good news is for a place like the Clipper. They run a ferry between Seattle and Victoria, bringing thousands of tourists every week in the summer to this city. And now the fact that the border will be reopening for Americans means they'll be reopening as well. This is the Clipper pre-COVID, packed with people heading between Victoria and Seattle. And this is the Clipper in COVID, something that's about to change. Best news I've had in 16 months, and uh, we're really happy to be on the other side of this and be looking at reestablishing our service. And this is why, starting August 9th, Americans who are fully immunized can travel to Canada for recreational reasons. They must submit proof of vaccination in the federal Arrive Can app and produce a negative COVID test within 72 hours of travel. Gone are the quarantines, either awaiting an at-the-border test or in a hotel for air travelers. Travelers will have to be fully vaccinated with a Health Canada authorized vaccine at least 14 days prior to entering the country. Unvaccinated children won't have to quarantine, either Canadians or Americans, but they can't go to camps or playgrounds or schools. There are still some major questions, as in when will Canadians be able to travel to the U.S. for non-essential reasons? At the present time, they have not indicated a, a, a plan to, to make any, any changes in their current border restrictions that are in place. But the Americans are expected to announce soon Canadians will be welcome. There's also the question of how long the negative PCR test will be needed. The success of businesses devastated by COVID, like duty-free shops, hinge on the answer. We um, are looking forward to um, the barrier to coming to Canada being broken down, and that's the, the PCR test. Um, you know, there's a there's a cost disincentive and a, and a trouble disincentive. Victoria and Vancouver rely heavily on American tourists, in some cases making up more than half their business. This news, the green light for these double-decker tours, where at least 70% of the business is international. We also hope that we'll, we'll see uh, it stretched into our uh, shoulder season, October, November. It's been a long 18 months and we're ready to get back uh, to welcoming visitors to Victoria. And then, Sophie, there's the question of international visitors from outside the United States. They will be welcome back in Canada on September 7th. For now, they will also be required, Sophie, for a negative PCR test before they come into this country. Mm -hmm. All right. But as we know, the rules uh, keep evolving and keep changing. So we'll see what they happens do. come September. Richard, thanks for that. Now, while many are supportive of this move, not that many Americans will be able to take advantage of it. Mm. For more on the slowing vaccination rate south of the border, let's bring in our Keith Baldry. Uh, Keith, we surpassed them. Uh, Canada surpassed them in vaccination numbers over the weekend. 
Yes, and the gap's going to continue to widen over the next few weeks, uh, Sophie, because the American vaccination effort has ground to a halt. And that means we're not going to see a huge influx of American visitors anytime soon because they simply aren't fully vaccinated. And that's the key. Not one dose, but two doses in most cases. Here's how the two nations compare. Right now, we're basically tied when it comes to full vaccination rates. We're at 50 percent. They're at 49 percent. But in terms of where we're headed, we're accelerating our second doses. They are not. They're now under current projections. Projections expected to hit 85%, which is the you know the target we're looking for for herd immunity. Not until mid-January. So we're talking about potentially uh, 40% of the population being ineligible to cross the border for a few months. Now, I also took a look at the western states, which are the primary travel states for British Columbians. We tend to head south more than anything else. Washington State has more fully vaccinated than we do, but again, not hitting 85% at the current pace until November. It gets worse as you go down the coast. Oregon mid-January is their target for hitting 85%, California mid-December, and Arizona right now with less than 45% of uh, people having full, fully dosed, uh, vaccinated, not expected to hit that 85% until February. So again, the numbers haven't changed much in the states for month, for weeks now, uh, and if they don't change uh, soon, we're not going to see that huge increase of visitors to from the states to Canada. And I'm going the other way. I note that COVID cases are up 66% in one week in the states, up 145% in two weeks. So the numbers are going the other way in the states. They have lower vaccination numbers and will continue to have low vaccination numbers. At the same time, they're having rapidly escalating COVID-19 cases. So don't look for a lot of Canadians to head south of the border anytime soon as well. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right. Let's take a look at how our provincial vaccination rate looks right now. So far, close to 81% of all eligible, eligible adults in BC have received one shot. When it comes to second doses, 56.6% of everyone 18 and older is now fully immunized. 53.2% of those age 12 and older have received two shots. Meanwhile, BC is confirming 156 new COVID-19 cases over the weekend. We have 653 active cases in this province. Two people have died over the last three days in B.C. 49 people are in hospital and 12 of those patients are in the ICU. Well, after many difficult months of restrictions, the rules for visiting B.C. care homes and other seniors' living facilities are finally being relaxed. As Madagahi reports, the long-awaited return to normal is leading to many happy family reunions. I just got emotional all of a sudden. The emotions are warranted after everything families with loved ones in long-term care have gone through in the last 16 months. It's, <laughs> it's wonderful, actually. <laughs> oh, mom. For the first time since the beginning of the pandemic, families can visit freely and without barriers of any kind, including masks. It's going to be a lot more fun and just more spontaneous that we can come anytime. At one time, Brenda Brown's parents both lived here at Normana Care Home. Sadly, her mother has since passed away and like many, the social isolation took a toll on her father as well. We've really noticed our parents have really declined during the pandemic. You know, you realize how important just these little visits are. At Abbotsford's Tabor Village care home, the glue on the new signs had yet to dry as eager visitors passed through. Yeah, it's a little emotional today because our families have been separated for a long time. Just get in your car and come and visit. Yeah. They like company. We're able to come and visit and, and really provide that emotional support. This is what has changed. Families can now visit without booking ahead. There are no more restrictions on how many people can see their loved one. 
Those with two vaccines can interact without a mask and the facilities can begin holding larger social events. This is a great day to bring back normalcy to long-term care and assisted living in British Columbia. But as the restrictions ease, the debate continues over the province's decision to allow unvaccinated staff to continue working in long-term care with rapid tests and PPE, something Tabor Village is keeping a close eye on. I suspect that there is more work being done between the healthcare unions and the government around uh, how that's going to look in the future for people who are not vaccinated in seniors' care. On this day, however, the conversations focused more on gratitude for the time spent together, which at least right now far outweighs everything else. Emmadagahi, Global News. An Orthodox church in Surrey has been gutted in an overnight fire. Why investigators are calling it suspicious and the other religious symbol targeted over the weekend in just over a minute. Humble Broncos back together. The photo going viral on social media later. Also ahead, another billionaire about to go to space along with an octogenarian. The origin story of Blue Origin later. Right now, though, a Surrey church has been reduced to a smoldering ruin after a suspicious early morning fire. As Grace Key reports, video surveillance filmed last week shows a woman trying to start a fire at the St. George Coptic Orthodox Church. It was the target of an attempted arson last week. Overnight, St. George Coptic Orthodox Church in Surrey's Wally neighborhood burned to the ground. This latest fire is considered suspicious. Flames broke out around 3 o'clock Monday morning. More than 300 families say it was their second home. Married here, their children baptized here. Everything, complete life here. All the community, all the Egyptian community was meeting here on, sun, on Sunday after the service and having breakfast together, socializing together. But now everything is gone. Just on Friday... We went out, we went to the movies, and then we'd always come back. We'd have pizza, we'd sit, and we'd talk with the kids. Like, it, it, it's like, it is a second home here in Surrey, so it was very, it was very hard. Surrey RCMP are already investigating an attempted arson stemming from an incident last week. On Wednesday at about 2.30 in the morning, church surveillance video captured a woman lighting items on fire at the front door and then leaving. We don't have any information at this time to confirm that there is any relationship to the fire which destroyed the church last night. Obviously, we're going to be looking at both of these incidents very closely. If there is any evidence to suggest they're related, we'll be going where the evidence shows us to go. The suspect is described as a Caucasian woman, 5 feet 7 inches tall with a heavy set build and dark hair. She was wearing a black hooded sweatshirt, a black tank top and black tights with a flower print and black flip-flops. The area we're in isn't... um the safest neighborhood. Um, we're not sure what the cause of, of the incident is, and we'll leave that to the police and fire to investigate. But um, we've had security issues um, at our church um, on an ongoing basis for, for, for many years. And what appears to be another act of vandalism directed against a religious symbol has resulted in the loss of a community landmark on Vancouver Island. Kylie Stanton has the story of the Cowichan Valley Cross and the determined effort involved in taking it down. In the more than four decades it stood here, this cross has meant many things to many people. 
and it's seen just as many changes. The original one was wood, so then they replaced it with a metal cross, and then that got vandalized. Now it's happened again. Over the weekend, photos began circulating on social media. April McLean posted, so much for my hike to the cross. Anyone know what happened this time? The vandalism was clearly done with a grinder. This was a metal cross and it was cut off at the base. And you can clearly see in the pictures that there's, uh, you know, grinder marks on there, which is concerning given the fire hazards and everything else up there. The North Cowich and Duncan RCMP are aware of the incident. No one could be reached for comment. But it's not the only monument on the island that's come down or been damaged in recent weeks. A response to the ongoing discovery of unmarked graves at former residential schools. In Victoria, the statue of Captain James Cook was removed on Canada Day. Shortly after that, this totem pole on the Malahat was burned and defaced. As word about the cross spreads, so does the speculation. The vandalism can, some, can sometimes work against the cause and against building a good relationship. I honestly think that the best thing that we can do is what the elders suggested, where we just everybody remain calm and everybody put this aspect of it behind us. The question now is what, if anything, should replace it? The cross has become a fixture in the Cowichan Valley, not just for those with religious ties, but also hikers and mountain bikers who frequent the area. We are at a bit of a crossroads here with, with this uh, particular symbol in terms of the, the events around us. So perhaps it's time as a community we, we take pause and, and, and uh, have a look at um, you know, what kind of symbol would we like up there. Discussions on how to move forward are expected to take place in the coming weeks. Cowichan tribes and local First Nations will be involved in the decision making. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, accusations of age discrimination. I just want equality. That's what I want. Why some seniors say they're being frozen out of app-based discounts. And later, what we're learning about the family involved in a deadly crash on the Coquihalla and how the community is stepping up to help. Well, from shopping online to food delivery, these days it seems there is an app for everything we do. But if you are a senior navigating through the digital age, it isn't always easy, and some say they're being left behind. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa with more. And thanks, Sophie. Many fast food giants offer rewards and often free food when consumers use their mobile app. But many seniors say they are missing out simply because they don't use apps, aren't comfortable with a smartphone, or they can't afford the technology and senior advocates say the issue is more than just the thrill of getting a discount. On hot summer days, Lillian Krillman and her friends like to indulge in a soft ice cream treat. However, this 86-year-old's love for the seasonal favorite has cooled off substantially. For years during the summer months, Lillian says she's been able to enjoy a McDonald's vanilla ice cream cone for one dollar. But now you'll need the McDonald's app for that price. A little treat is such as ice cream, but when you have to pay double for it, it's, it's a lot. If you don't use the app, you'll pay more in store. Lillian doesn't use a smartphone and says for seniors like herself, that's just not fair. They're discriminated against elderly. We've helped pioneer this country to make it easier and better for the young people. And they're getting all the privileges and we're being cut off. 
Lillian's friend Ingrid agrees and says the extra cost will mean fewer visits to the fast food giant. Well, I go less. It should be the same for everybody. We checked it out for ourselves, ordering the McDonald's ice cream cone on the app, which came to $1.05, including tax, compared to $1.88 with tax when we ordered in store. In fact, many of the fast food apps that Lillian enjoys offer free food, rewards, and other perks not available in store. They're penalizing people who cannot afford to buy these fancy phones and or tablets and such to get these apps, it's just not fair. Senior advocates say Lillian's frustration speaks to a much broader issue. It's around the poverty issue, it's around the isolation and loneliness issue, and it's around being left behind uh, in many things in the shift to the digital world that uh, seniors like Lillian are experiencing. We reached out to other fast food chains where Lillian frequents. Tim Hortons told us that a smartphone is not required to participate in collecting or redeeming Tim's rewards points or receiving valuable offers. Guests can still use a physical Tim's rewards card to collect points on eligible purchases. And A&W stated we regularly introduce new limited time recipes, feature price promotions in restaurants, on our mobile ordering app and through third-party delivery, and offer mailed and digital coupons. A&W also told us it wanted to send Lillian an A&W package with a gift card to treat herself and her friends. I'm not after gifts. I'm not after money. I just want the quality. That's what I want. And we reached out to McDonald's Canada for comment about Lillian's concerns around the mobile app, but the fast food giant never got back to us. Meantime, Tim Hortons has agreed to connect with Lillian to provide her with a Tim's rewards card and show her how she can receive more offers. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Up next, Kelowna residents anxious to return home. Stressful, very stressful. Forced out by last week's crane collapse. Why they're worried about what they're going back to. Also ahead, studying how well vaccines will work for those already facing health vulnerabilities. All right, returning to that breaking news we told you about off the top of the news hour tonight. An aggressive wildfire burning at the sour between Oliver and Asuyu, sending a lot of smoke into the area uh, and cutting power uh, to several uh, homes and uh, neighborhoods within the South Okanagan. It broke out late this afternoon. Uh, Taylor McDonald joins us live via Zoom with the BC Wildfire Service. Taylor, thank you for joining us. Just fill us in on the details of this one because uh, we started hearing about it uh, just before our five o'clock news and we're still trying to get a good handle on what's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So the Inconique Creep Wildfire is uh, approximately six kilometers north of Vesoyus on Vesoyus Indian Band land. And it is estimated to be about 300 hectares at this time and is out of control. Uh, we do have multiple firefighters and aerial resources on site at this time. And do we know how it started, Taylor? Uh, the cause of the fire is unknown at this time. So 300 hectares, um, you know, from what we had heard from uh, at least one person who was in the area at the time, they didn't notice anything just a few hours ago. It seems to have grown quite quickly. Yeah, it has grown quite quickly. There are steady winds in the area that are contributing to the growth, and it's just an extremely vigorous surface fire and an active crown fire right now, uh, burning quite aggressively. 
So how close is it? I mean, we've seen some uh, still imagery and some video, uh, which does show a lot of smoke near, I believe they're the Asuya's cottages in the area. How close is the fire, though, to, um, to residences or wineries or any sort of um, structures or humans in the area? You know, I don't have an exact uh, location as to where the fire is burning relative to the structures, but I do know that uh, structures are threatened at this time. So what about the um, resources that are being used to fight this fire right now, uh, Taylor? You did mention you have, you know, crews in the area, you have equipment. Uh, Can you break it down for us? Yes, we have multiple firefighters responding at this time on the ground, as well as air tankers and multiple helicopters as well. And what about um, power in that area, Taylor? We've been hearing from some people that, uh, several people, in fact, that Taylor, or that uh, power has been cut off as far south as um, Spirit Ridge and, and uh, the town of Asoyus. We're hearing the entire town is out of power right now. At this time, I'm not aware of that information, but uh, I'm sure that BC Hydro or the you know, relative uh, uh, bodies would be aware of that. What about evacuation alerts or orders for that region? Uh, at this time, I'm unaware of those, but, uh, you know, it is an evolving situation. So I recommend people uh, stay tuned with their local governments. When you say aggressive wildfire, Taylor, I mean, it certainly sounds ominous. Can you give me a, a little bit more of a characterization of what you mean by aggressive wildfire? Um, just the fire behavior that we're seeing on site is quite aggressive. Uh, crews are reporting uh, aggressive fire behavior on the ground there. All right, Taylor. Well, we'll keep in touch with you uh, to get more details as they become available. But what we know right now is 300 hectares. And you call it the, is it the Inkanip? Inkanip Creek, yes. Inkanip Creek. All right, Taylor, thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll let you get back to work. I know it's busy for you guys right now. So we'll talk to you uh, and hopefully get more details as they become available. Taylor McDonald is with the BC Wildfire Service. In other news now, we are learning more about the family involved in a tragic crash on the Coquihalla over the weekend. According to a GoFundMe, the bees were en route to Vancouver early Saturday morning when the driver suffered some type of medical event and lost control of the car. He was airlifted to hospital along with two children and their mother. A 70-year-old woman identified as Pee Wee Fortuno is the children's grandmother. She died at the scene. Campaign organizers are hoping money raised will help the family with funeral and recovery costs. Well, one week after a catastrophic crane accident that claimed five lives in downtown Kelowna, there is still no answers as to how and why it happened. And as the investigation into the deadly crane collapse continues, dozens of people remain out of their homes. Claudia Van Emmerich has more. One week after a catastrophic crane accident claimed five lives at this downtown Kelowna construction site, the makeshift memorial for the victims continues to grow, and so does the work to remove the mangled mess. We have um, on-site teams taking care of the continuing dismantlation and removal of the crane pieces. With that work ongoing, the area is still under a city-imposed evacuation order. Right now, there are 21 addresses on evacuation order. That includes this senior's building adjacent to the site where part of the crane came crashing down under the concrete deck over top of the parkade. The building itself is fine. The wood frame part of the building is fine. The 100-plus residents, many of them quite elderly and on fixed incomes, have been out of their homes ever since. Stressful, very stressful. And anxious to get back in. Sooner the better, I, I'm really anxious. But it's what the seniors will be coming home to that has the building's manager very concerned. It's probably over 40 degrees inside the building, so 
It's starting to smell. The food is starting, you can smell it in the corridors. Staffan said with no power, residents of the 64 units are triggering individual insurance claims to cover costs of lost food and even possibly the refrigerators themselves. Who's going to pay the $1,000 individual deductibles that each one of them is going to have to pay? You know, none of this is their fault. He's also worried about any possible health implications. My concern is for air quality. We don't know. I'd like somebody to do an independent evaluation on the air quality in the building, that there's no mold spores and toxic things in the air. Stefan would like to see Mission Group, the development company of the construction project, to step up and help. We contacted Mission Group to ask if there will be any assistance offered to the displaced seniors. In an email to Global News, the company said it is very concerned for all those affected by the tragic event and that it is communicating directly with those people to better understand their short and long-term needs. As residents wait to return home, the community at large still awaiting answers on what caused the catastrophe to begin with. Claudia Van Ever, Global News, Kelowna. In Health Matters tonight, a new study suggests COVID-19 antibodies may last at least nine months after infection. Italian researchers tested 3,000 residents in a town that's one of the hardest hit areas of the country during the pandemic last year. They found nearly 99% of those who were infected between February and March of 2020 showed detectable levels of antibodies nine months later. There was no difference between those who had asymptomatic and symptomatic infections. All right, we'll take a quick break here on the News Hour, and we'll be right back with more. All right, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon back with us with a look at our forecast. Uh, none of that smoke down here in Metro Vancouver, but certainly affecting mm -hmm. a lot of people in parts of the interior, Christy. Absolutely. I'm right through the prairie. So we do have generally a southwest flow across the region. We're going to see that again tomorrow, pushing that smoke sort of towards the eastern sections. Now, Sophie, I wanted to let you know, just in the last half hour, we've had a change in terms of the number of fires. We've dropped by about 40 fires across the province. So active right now is 255. That is some improvement. But as we well know, there's still a lot of people in danger. Look at how high that fire danger rating is across central and southern parts of the province. We're at an extreme level in many, many regions including Vancouver Island. Now, tomorrow we have some rain in the forecast, but it's not where we need it. It will be extending from the northern part of Vancouver Island across northern BC, but you can see central and southern BC, no more rain in the, or no rain in the forecast, and we have no rain in the forecast as far as we can see. So some showers across the north, but it comes with a risk of thunderstorms. Southern regions mostly dry and temperatures in the low 30s. For the south coast, pleasant conditions in terms of temperature, but dry once again. We haven't had any rain in the forecast since June 15th. And there's your five-day forecast not showing any rain as far as we can see. Tonight's central windows weather window from Abbotsford Lakeland Farms showing beautiful sunflowers there. A whole sea of them. Gorgeous. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, for the first time since the tragic Humboldt Broncos bus crash, the 13 surviving members of the team have posed for a group photograph. Let's take a look. This was posted on social media over the weekend. The post has already generated over 11,600 likes and 1,100 retweets since it was first put up. Of course, 16 people were killed in that crash. Nice to see them all together mm. again. I was one of those retweets, Soph. Oh, were you? Mm -hmm. Saw it on the weekend. Put a big smile on my face. Yeah. Hey, uh, the BC Lions are getting the Traeger treatment up at training camp in Kamloops. They got smoked out of practice today. I was, it was smoky one today. 
you know, it's been like this for about a week, so we're a little used to it by now. Lions head coach Rick Campbell ending practice early due to the forest fires in the area. Still managed to get their team session in, though. We'll hear from Coach Campbell just ahead in sports. And later, ready for launch, how Blue Origin is set to make history, and not because of Jeff Bezos. And just before we get to Jay's sports, we want to return to our breaking news top story, that aggressive, out-of-control wildfire burning in the hills between Oliver and Soyuz. And it is rapidly growing in size. Uh, they've given it a name. They're calling it the Inkanip Fire now. It broke out late this afternoon. It is burning on Asuyas Indian Band land, six kilometers north of Asuyas. Several homes, cottages and wineries are in that area. The fire now covers about 300 hectares. Fortis, B.C. says it has cut power to about 2,300 people nearby as a precaution while crews battle this fire. This fire, the plume just erupted so very quickly. And I, I, um, my neighbor told me that it was by the Soyuz cottages. So I took a trip down um, south towards the Soyuz. And as soon as I got probably about 6K south of, of Oliver, you can see the fire on the hillside. And it's definitely in the forest. It's definitely crowning. Um, there are a number of tanker planes with retardant that are actioning it. There's probably f- at least four, but Two or three of them have now gone. I probably I don't know where they go to re, re uh, reload, but that's they've gone off. Um, as I said, I've seen a lot of fires up here. I've lived here for five years, and this Soyuz fire right now is is the fastest explosion of flames I've seen, and they got on it really quickly. Thankfully, and we will keep an eye on that for you and uh, keep uh, keep up to date on the status of that fire. All right, Jay is here now with a look at our sports. Mm, yeah, concerning stuff. So uh, week two, the BC Lions training camp up in Kamloops halted prematurely today because of smoky conditions. Lions had their first scrimmage of camp on Saturday, took yesterday off. Conditions were crystal clear on the weekend. Not so much today as the winds picked up, brought in all that forest fire smoke, which again forced Coach Campbell to call a quick audible and end, crack, end practice quickly. It was okay when we started, and then it just kind of kept uh, kind of building. The I noticed the wind was blowing the wrong direction. Yesterday, we were crystal clear, and it was blowing from the southwest, and we kind of got some kickback today from the east. So um, brought most of the work in, which I'm, I'm glad we were able to get it done, but we just wanted to be smart about it once it uh, kind of got socked in here. This camp is all about uh, adapting and overcoming, you know what I mean? So, yeah, there's lots of smoke. There's lots of things going on with COVID and testing, and it's a lot of of out-of-the-normal stuff. But, um, yeah, the conditions were a little bit rough today, but at the same time, we still locked in and we got what we needed to get done, and that's how we're going to take every day, one day at a time, day by day, and just go like that. Vancouver Whitecaps right back at it tomorrow night when they take on Houston. Caps are coming off that 2-1 victory over the LA Galaxy on Saturday, which ended their eight-game winless skid. Busy stretch of soccer right now for the Caps. Five matches in 15 days. Expect some roster juggling and a lot of early substitutions. It's a big topic when we have a run like this, uh, but it's a little bit of everything. So it's planning subs that could come in a little bit earlier in the game. It's the mentality of the guys that won a game and and you have to be fair with it. It's the need of rotation on some players that their tissues and their their muscles are different to recover. 
and we have all of that in our roster and we think about all of that when we have to turn around in 72 hours and play the game again so everything's planned like that Nashville Predators draft pick Luke Prokop has become the first NHL player under contract to come out as gay. He made the announcement on his Instagram account. He's received an outpouring of support from the hockey community, including a statement from NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman saying the NHL is proud of what Prokop has done. Prokop's a defenseman. He's played the last four years with the Calgary Hitmen. Well, ever since he was a kid, West Vancouver's Garrett Reed loved being at the Whistler Sliding Center. Reed, an up-and-coming athlete for Canada in the sport of luge, but that love of sliding nearly killed him in a training accident, an accident that Garrett and his family are still dealing and recovering from. Roll the ball towards the wall, all the way up, strong core, excellent. It's nothing short of a miracle to see Garrett Reed upright and rehabbing from a serious head injury that nearly took his life back in November of 2019. The now 18-year-old had just made Canada's next-gen team and was about to head off to Austria to compete in the Junior World Cup when he crashed on his final training run. Garrett would spend the next several months in a coma fighting for his life, doctors giving him very little chance of surviving. It was tough the first few days and we were told the next morning that not to expect him to live even to the weekend. Prior to the accident, um, he'd... I guess you could say he'd really hit his stride. Um, he was... <laughs> doing amazingly well. He'd just been named to the, or uh, nominated by Luge Canada to the Youth Olympic team. Ready? Stay strong. Stay strong. Stay strong. For a teenager who was set to do big things in a sport where you spend most of your time laying on your back, the goal has always been to get Garrett back on his feet and make a full recovery. This after he was given a 4% chance of living. It's been a long road to make it this far, one made a lot tougher due to the financial costs of constant physiotherapy and medical treatments where a team of 14 dedicated professionals assist Garrett. Insurance covers literally everything but a bad accident. I guess that's the nicest way I can put it. Um, I got $240 from them for this accident. Press, press hard. The Reed family has spent $100,000 of their own money getting Garrett to this point of his recovery. It's expected he'll need another two years of full-time rehabilitation. That's $200,000 that the family doesn't have and why the sliding community has set up a GoFundMe campaign to assist Garrett and the Reeds. The way we look at it as a family is, it's like that MasterCard commercial, like what, <laughs> it, it's priceless. We can't, we can't put up, uh, sorry. <laughs> can't put a price on him so and we wish Garrett and his family all the best so very well done all right thanks for that Jay Jeff Bezos is ready to launch we'll have that next Blue Origin says all systems are go for an historic liftoff in West Texas. Company founder billionaire Jeff Bezos and his carefully selected crew are set to blast off to the edge of space in a new autonomous rocket. A day before Blue Origin's scheduled launch, Jeff Bezos insists he is not nervous, just excited. This vehicle is ready, this crew is ready, this team is amazing. Uh, we just feel really good about it. Come on into the capsule. This capsule simulator is the same one tomorrow's Blue Origin crew has trained in. Ariane Cornell directs sales here for wannabe astronauts. These are the largest windows that have ever flown in space. In the emerging space tourism market, Blue Origin's new Shepard rocket launches vertically. Its engine generates 110,000 pounds of thrust, 
Passengers inside experience three G's of force. For 82-year-old Wally Funk, one of the first women to train for spaceflight back in the 60s, this is the chance of a lifetime. I've waited a long time, but I've dreamt a long time to get to go up. More than 60 miles above the planet, the passengers experience several minutes of weightlessness, microgravity. The views are going to be terrific. The zero-G will be an unusual experience that you really can't get uh, in any good way on Earth. So we're excited about it. The fully automated capsule deploys braking parachutes. Small thrusters fire to slow its descent an instant before it touches down in the Texas desert. This is a space joyride, but that's not priority one. New Shepard will not launch until I'm satisfied that it is safe to do so, and I give my go for launch. And to other thrill seekers. Blue Origin's next two flights are filling up, but the company won't say what it costs. Blue Origin's being endlessly cagey about what the cost of going up's going to be. The winner of a recent auction paid $28 million for a single ticket. The price going forward, not that high, but it's not going to be cheap. Mark Strassman, CBS News, Van Horn, Texas. It's not how I imagined a rocket ship to look. No, I agree. Just saying. All right, quick word on the weather as we go, Christy. Thanks. So, so uh, sunny, dry conditions expected here across the south coast and many parts of southern BC. All right, that's all the time we have. Have a good evening, evening, everyone.